welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends where you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod. Facebook and Instagram, it's the Longhorn Republic. Or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who's excited to onboard to the SEC, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? You know, what I'm really excited about is, is it's a conference that has a proper crimson team in it, a team that wears crimson uh, with a little bit of pizzazz, you know, and backs it up and, and doesn't choke it away. That's not a shot at any particular other team who wears crimson in any other conference today. Hint, hint. Uh, no, we're, we're talking Bama today, Gerald. This is going to be fun. It's exciting times, Kyle. We're, we're finally getting to uh, preview football. So we are officially out of the wide receiver numbers and into the offensive lineman numbers. We are 79 days. You could keep that on your uh, Twitter countdown, picture countdown, whoever you're doing it. But it's time to preview the big non-conference matchup. The Alabama Crimson Tide coming to the newly sold out. Daryl Carey Royal Texas Memorial Stadium. As of Tuesday, I think the only way to get tickets to that game is either pay. Uh, we're looking at four figures right now or buy season <laughs> tickets. The only two ways to get into the game. But we're not here to talk about ticket prices. We're here to talk about what's going to happen on the field. And so we reached out to our friends over at Roll Bama Roll. And Brent Taylor, now new friend of the show, is here to help us preview the Crimson Tide. Man, Brent, how are you doing today? Man, I'm doing great, and I'm happy to be a new friend. And aren't SCC friends really the, the truly the best friends? Uh, we'll, we'll find out soon in a couple of years officially. <laughs> well, oh, we'll be best buds. No, I like you guys better when you're out of conference. Once you come in, we start getting some bad blood moments. Fair enough. Fair enough. To think Texas A&M was kind of cool. Now it's like, <laughs> I, now I see what you guys didn't like. Thank you for understanding. It's um, <laughs> it, it has been a relatively nice reprieve, but I guess we're going to see them soon. Let's talk about anything else. (laughs) (laughs) So it seems like, and we were talking about this pre-show, like it's really easy to preview most of the big 12 schools. It's like, there's a question at quarterback. There's a question at wide receiver. And Alabama's like, how good is your Heisman Trophy winning quarterback going to be? So let's let's start there because I think that's the the big, uh, at least the question I always like to, to know is like, there's been one repeat Heisman Trophy winner in the entire history of the trophy. And so when you have a guy like Bryce Young, who's, probably rounding his last season on campus, going to look at the NFL sooner rather than later. Like what are the expectations for him uh, leading Bama back to presumably the promised land this year? Bryce is not going to repeat Heisman. It's just, it doesn't happen. Uh, There's going to be a major, you know, nationally a major push for look for anything wrong with this guy so we can give it to someone else. And that, you know, that's not just a anti-Bama thing. It's any Heisman winner that wins it too early. It's just how it goes. And then with with Alabama specifically, all of our running backs got hurt last year. And so Bryce Young wound up carrying a lot more of the offense than really I think he was planning to do or anyone planned on him doing. And Alabama brought in a nice shiny new transfer running back out of Georgia <laughs> Tech, uh, plus bringing back all of the guys that got injured last year. So there's a huge stable of running backs, and I, I fully expect some of the passing volume to be dialed down. Uh, for As for what I expect, I, I'd like to see a, a little better urgency from Bryce. There's a lot of, up until really the Auburn game at the end of last year, mm-hmm. just, just kind of a lack of urgency from him. He took a lot of sacks, and we'll... We'll get into that as we talk about questions about this team. It's not all on him, but he he held the ball a lot and took a lot of sacks. So that's something I want to see a lot of improvement from going forward. But he, you know, he's a Heisman quarterback. The dude's great. I'll save the sacks question for Gerald. <clears throat> he always focuses on the line. I like the I like the flashy guys. So I'm going to ask you. Um, there is, even though they they threw the ball more, there is also a churn a bit um, at the receiver position. Jamison Williams, John Mechie, after. Uh, you know, putting three guys in the first round the year before. Just a ton of 
skill position drain, even at a, at a program like Alabama, it's tough to just consistently uh, replace. Um, obviously, Jermaine Burton came over from UGA and a guy who Texas fans uh, know pretty well in JoJo early. So uh, who is going to be, when Bryce does drop back to pass, who is going to be uh, his favorite target? Who should Texas fans be watching for? come that Saturday man who knows we have <laughs> a we have a wide open wide receiver group right now and if you think Nick Saban's letting any scrap <laughs> of rumors out of the close practice fields right now then uh, so you, you know Jermaine Burton's got to be the leader he's a transfer out of Georgia the guy the, this is crazy he was Georgia's leading receiver with only like 500 yards that <laughs> uh, you know, so their tight end had like a thousand or whatever it was, but as an actual receiver, he was their leader with, I mean, like no catch. He would have been fourth on Alabama last year, but so the best, everything I've heard, Burton seems to be working with Bryce a lot. And those two are developing a lot of chemistry together. So I, I expect that to be our leader. Uh, there's also another transfer, Tyler Harrell, Harrell out of Louisville. And the dude is a graduate transfer that supposedly ran somewhere like a 419-42440. Uh, you know, it, it's another shot okay. to see if we can. Yeah, yeah, kind of fast. <laughs> see it, see if they can strike lightning twice like they did with Jamison Williams, just pulling a fast guy out of Ohio State and figuring out, oh, this guy can actually be a good receiver. So there's a good chance both of Alabama's leading receivers are new transfers in. Uh uh, most of the, well, I won't say most, but quite a few of the players that were forced into action in the national championship last year. Uh, there was a couple of crucial fourth down drops here and there. Uh, they're gone, which I guess you guys know one of those. <laughs> Aggie I Hall. Uh, I don't know. Oh, I did see. Is he is he actually on Texas's roster? I saw there was a kerfuffle that maybe he's not. He he is he is officially a Longhorn. Okay, yeah. Hey, have fun. The dude is <laughs> the dude is uh, a lot of fun on Twitter. He'll like tweet these random cryptic things just to get the fans kind of like, "What's going on with him?" And I think he does it just to mess with fans. I appreciate I the 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 early uh, early two thousands uh, MySpace posting style of social media. So so I love to see it making a comeback there. <laughs> So uh, anyway, as for recruits, there are, I think, five freshman receivers coming in this year. Specifically, I would watch for Isaiah Bond. Uh, the guy is crazy, crazy fast. I don't see as like a full-time do-everything receiver, but he very well could develop as one of those freshmen that you throw him a screen and he's gone. So you mentioned uh, um, uh, when you were talking about the quarterbacks, the the offensive line questions that are there, and that that was one of the bigger surprises and probably uh, the the biggest struggle frustration uh, out of Alabama fans a year ago was was uh, a seeming step back in the, the offensive line play. And now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe there's been a change, another change at the offensive line coach to uh, hopefully address that. But you know, there's a you've got to replace Evan Neal. There's there's turnover there. What's going to the offensive line going to look like this year? And will Alabama look more like the Alabama of old that's just mauling people at the point of attack? So in 2021, Alabama made the brilliant move of hiring NFL castoff Doug Marone <laughs> to be an offensive line coach is like a retirement swan song. <laughs> and it failed pretty spectacularly. Uh, kind of gets lost in Bryce's Heisman numbers was that this was by far and away the worst offensive line performance of Nick Saban's entire tenure. Uh, basically every offensive line metric out there, whether it's just base stats and tackles for loss or getting into more of your advanced metrics, run stuffs, all of that. Uh, Alabama's offensive line was generally a hundredth or worse in almost everything. It was not pretty and got covered up a whole lot by Bryce Young running around. So, uh, yeah, Doug Marone is gone. And unfortunately, Evan Neal is too. And Neal was amazing. He was an amazing left tackle while the entire left guard to right tackle was falling apart. Uh, 
So there's a lot of turnover. Alabama returns right guard Emil Echior. He's a third-year starter, is generally a strong run blocker. He's had some health issues basically his entire career on and off, but he is a long-term starter. And then left guard Javian Cohen was a first-year starter last year. He's probably more of a natural tackle. Uh, fairly solid pass blocker. He's got a ways to go on run blocking still. So that's two guards. And past that, we're, <laughs> we, we got it. It's interesting. So you've got a couple of centers. One is Darian Dalcourt, who played last year. And uh, kind of rumblings behind the scenes was he wasn't doing well with a lot of the making calls part of being a center. And ended up getting benched for uh, Seth McLaughlin who f seemed to fix a lot of those line communication issues, but then got eaten alive by Georgia's Jordan Davis. <laughs> it, you know, he gave up like 100 pounds to the dude, so fair play. So, the, you know, there's a battle between those two again going into this year, and the two tackles are wide open. There's five-star sophomore J.C. Latham that we all thought would be a starter last year, didn't make it. So maybe he's got it this year. There's Tommy Brockermeyer, another five-star. We thought might be a starter. Hasn't made Maybe it, has him. It? Yeah, so, so far he hasn't really managed to even crack depth charts yet. So we'll still holding out hope on that one. Uh, there's a converted sixth-year tight end senior, Kendall Randolph, that we hope does not have to be the tackle. <laughs> Um, and yeah, and then we went and stole a graduate transfer out of Vanderbilt. So he's most likely going to be the left tackle. Texas has done a, uh, <clears throat> an academic school grad transfer offensive lineman in the name of Calvin Anderson. He's playing in the NFL now, so it can work out, uh, pretty well. The, the one year, uh, smart guy, big guy combo. The kid from um, Georgia Tech sucked though. We'll just say that out loud. <laughs> that is true. I will. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I wasn't going to, going to throw him directly under the bus, but yes, he did not I have before and I'll do it again. Unafraid. Didn't realize you have to also pass block, which it sounds like there might be some issues there. It, it you mentioned the Brocker Myers, obviously. Uh, again, dad, family played at UT. There was hope uh, the Texas boys would would come home when when Mama called, but they they made their way uh, to to Bama. Um, Tommy, obviously, the, the the bigger name of the two. Is anything from him? I know last year it seemed like exactly what you said everyone was looking for the, the step up and it, and it just didn't happen is there any buzz at all or is he still a longer development project no no buzz really uh we we finally did actually see him in the spring game this year he's playing second team right tackle uh got absolutely eaten alive <laughs> but uh yeah that's about it <laughs> tough to do we, we we we'll talk about uh your your defensive ends when we get there because that's uh it's it's frightening um the uh the last thing to talk about in the running game obviously brian robinson uh going to the nfl jameer gibbs a guy who you know at least one person on texas will be familiar with right his running backs coach uh also left georgia tech and came uh to, to texas so um i don't know that that gives us any type of insight on how to stop him but he knows that he's good at very least um is it pretty much his job um just to come in and and see the bulk of the carries or will another texas kid and jace mcclellan or anyone else uh, getting that committee that Bama can t at times be famous for in their backfield? I, I think this is going to be a committee year. Uh, the, the fun thing about Nick Saban is he has absolutely alternated. There have been times where he had Derrick Henry and rode him into the ground for a year or Najee Harris for two straight years. And then there's been times when they platoon Damien Harris, Josh Jacobs, Najee Harris, Bo Scarborough. So it, it really depends on the roster, and Saban is happy to go either direction. I think this is going to be a big platoon year. So Jason McClellan, I think I think McClellan would have been Alabama's leading rusher last year. And so up until he, he seemed to be eating more and more of the carries away from Brian Robinson early on uh, until he tore an ACL. Hmm. So, man, those knees. But so I, I I'm expecting McClellan to be the starting back this year. Uh, there's also Trey Sanders, who former five star guy. He's a junior now. Or oh shoot, he might be a senior. He's a senior now, I think. Uh, 
but Sanders broke a foot his freshman year, then was in a car accident and just like shattered his pelvis his sophomore year and really just got back onto the field at the end of last year. So he's, he's there. He's really the veteran of the group. I, I'm not sure he's ever really making it back, Uh, but we'll, we'll see. So him and McClellan, and then now we've got Jameer Gibbs coming in who, you know, Gibbs is, he's just so fast. Um, But I think what's probably going to happen is Gibbs is going to be a receiving back and kind of the old Kenyon Drake role. If you remember when Alabama had Derek Henry, they also had Kenyon Drake who wound up being a third round draft pick and was used on a lot of uh, change of pace plays, speed sweeps and motioned out to receiver a lot. And I think that's what we're going to see from Gibbs. So Gibbs will be the all-purpose yards leader, but I think McClellan is the starting true tailback. Uh, well, I'll give one last uh, word of warning. There is a five-star running back out of Alito with a knee injury who Texas fans are sadly very familiar with, and Jonathan Gray, who just, you know, one of the greatest all-time high school running backs in general, but in Texas high school history. I, for the sake of just, you know, high school kids from uh, Texas having great careers, hope that uh, McClellan can break the Alito knee injury, five-star running back uh, curse of Jonathan Gray and have a great career. Um, just, you know, wait until like the third week of the season to start it. But, uh, oh, okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll let him know. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. Appreciate it. Shoot him a DM or something. Just put in a word. Uh, so let's let's switch sides to the, to the defensive side of the ball. And I think you know I, I talked about the offensive line being a surprise. I think the other surprise, at least for me last year, was was the pass defense for Alabama gave up more chunk plays than I, than I'm used to seeing uh, through the air. I think the uh, the statistics are like what six is six and a half six point six yards per attempt defensively, which is the highest total since 2013. Now Alabama did address some of that in the transfer portal almost immediately after the season was over. But do you think that's enough to to like reverse that trend and and keep the keep things in front of them more frequently? Yeah, I I think that was uh, mostly a product of injury to specific cornerbacks. Uh, Josh Job. It, that was the the deep ball like that was not an issue for Alabama for most of the last few years or the early part of this season. Uh, Josh Job, the left cornerback, wound up with turf toe uh, about halfway through the season, and Arkansas figured it out and just absolutely focused in on it. And he mm-hmm. he should have been benched a lot earlier than he was. Uh, it you know. Is a senior guy, had been a multi-year starter. You hated it, but that the, the toe was bad. He was just getting roasted. Uh, and then uh, following that, the corner on the other side, Jalen Armour Davis, a few games later, messed up his hip. And again, didn't really come out of the game as early as he should have. And once the, both of those guys came out, now we're starting true freshmen and a uh, playoff game you know like, oh this is great this is fine um, <laughs> so i i think that was the major part of the issue there uh, coming into this year the poor freshman that got thrown in against georgia in the national championship is now year two and has that experience he's a solid six one five star former you know former five star guy and it seemed, seemed to be one of those players. It's Kool-Aid McKinstry. That he seemed to be one of those players that Nick Saban likes a lot. He talks about him a good bit and has seemed to kind of mess with him a lot. So I think that's a good sign. Uh, the other spot, there's some there's some different guys. There's Juco transfer Kyrie Jackson, 6'3". Uh, he is the one that got beat for the game-winning touchdown against Georgia. So uh, we'll see. We'll see if that was a first game starter nerves or if he wins the job. But there's also former freshman All-American Eli Ricks that transferred in from LSU. Now, so far, Ricks is still on the second team behind Jackson. Whether that lasts until game one of the season, probably not. I fully expect it to be Ricks. And at that point, Alabama's got, you know, former five-star former five-star and freshman All-American, All-SEC. And they're all 6'1 plus with great speed. So I think they're in good shape. I really thought Eli Ricks was was um, 
fantastic his freshman year. I thought he was the better corner on that team with a pair of really good corners. But um, w- one position we we know and one strategy, I guess, to, to, to not give up chunk plays is just uh, sack the quarterback or tackle the running back before he gets out of the backfield. And you had a guy who did it as good as anyone I've ever seen in the Nick Saban era. I, I've heard people call him the best Alabama defender in Saban's tenure, which is certainly lofty praise. But maybe the biggest competition – to his quarterback repeating for the Heisman is the defensive end. Um, Texas fans obviously are familiar. Bama fans, very familiar. Will Anderson, I think just an absolute stud. Um, 17 and a half sacks, 34 and a half tackles for loss, I believe, last year. Um, we'll save Dallas Turner for a moment. Give us the, the secret insight here. We promise we won't share it with the Texas coaches. Has anyone ever done anything to successfully even slow down Will Anderson? Like, what do you... Uh, throw a quick screen to the other side of the field. <laughs> that, hope that he is gets it. some bad sushi. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I hope he gets sick. And then hope him getting sick doesn't make him mad or something. Right. Uh, oh man, Will Anderson was the rightful Heisman winner last year, and I will stand by that Agreed. to my grave. You have no, you have no argument there. I, as a as a as a Texas fan who had literally no dog in the fight, I you know just hoped. I hate that it just goes to the quarterback on the best team most years, but um, I yeah, I thought his season last year was just phenomenal. I hope that doesn't give any type of chip on his shoulder. But tell us about the rest because you have some other premier edge rushers um uh on this team and dallas turner included who 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 else might be getting to uh to our uh young one of our young quarterbacks whichever one is behind center so yeah dallas turner kind of came on uh really halfway through the season last year uh freshman guy he was we didn't really hear a whole lot about him uh leading up to the season and he was a backup to drew sanders and when sanders uh, hurt his elbow, I believe. Dallas Turner came in. He got roasted on a few passing plays. We're like, oh, great, true freshman. This is not going to be pretty. And a couple games later, it was like, oh, who was that coming off the left side? And it was, it was Dallas Turner. And I'll be 100% honest, Dallas Turner has got a better speed rush than Will Anderson. So as powerful and explosive as Anderson is, Dallas Turner is a better edge speed kind of polish rusher like that and that's terrifying i i fully expect this season will anderson's going to have a little bit of a decrease in his numbers i think teams are going to double and triple team him and i think dallas turner's gonna get just as many sacks as anderson did last year 15 16 plus i think it's gonna be nuts awesome so uh (laughs) To go along with that, there's also uh, another guy that is, oh, what was his name? Hang on a second. I'm just brain blocked. But he, he is a... Uh, Braswell? Yes, Chris Braswell. Sorry, I was mixing him up with Yabi Anoma, who was the year before out of the same area and the same size. Okay, yes, Chris Braswell. So Braswell is a... Uh, five-star guy came in i was not very high on him as a recruit i was like i'm not sure he kind of got that five-star early and then slowly decreased through the rankings and when he came to alabama he's way way undersized uh but this offseason he's bulked up a lot and in the spring game all of a sudden he was splitting first team reps with anderson and turner and nick saban basically said yeah we have three starting pass rushers. And that's when I was like, oh, watch out for this guy. So we haven't really seen Braswell much. We haven't seen him in action a whole lot, but the coaches seem to think he is a guy this year. So let, let's wrap up the the former the formal part of this interview and get to really what what people are going uh, to to hear for. So, it's been a, it's been a bit of a of a down season for Alabama or a down a down uh tenure for Alabama. Just one national championship in the last 4 years. There are pre-K students that have not seen an Alabama national championship. So, like wow. what's the expectation for wow. this season? And like my son has never seen an Alabama or seen one Alabama national championship. That is just absolutely inexcusable. So like, what's the expectation? And, and when do you guys hope to see that um, 
see that national championship trophy again. Man, natty or bust, right? That's every year. <laughs> It, is is it is it truly that is the is is playoff? I mean, is it like ah, it's a down year, or even getting to the championship game is it is it considered a failure? Uh, by the time that part of the season rolls around, yeah, uh, any loss is a failure. Uh, sure. Going in, most I would say last year twenty twenty one, most fans did not expect Alabama to really make it there. Uh, we had you know a million first rounders on the team in twenty twenty, just crushed all of college football. And we were kind of like, okay, we're breaking in an entirely new team in 21. We'll see what happens. It'll be cool. Uh, they really overachieved for most of 2021 compared to where we all thought they would be. And then, you know, then you get to the national championship. And at that point, you're like, well, now I expect it. <laughs> Why'd you have to lose? <laughs> um, but, you know, a year ago, I would have told you 2021 is not our year. 2022 is going to be great. Now, after last year, the way it ended, you're kind of like, okay, well, maybe we were better than we thought last year, and maybe we're still about the same this year. Uh, but I, I would say, yeah, this team should be better than last year's team, and last year's team was a couple of drives away from winning a national championship, So, and you know, a couple of freshman receiver drops. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'd say ex- expectation is a championship. Us, I, us too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Every preseason champions. Absolutely. Undefeated every preseason. We uh, we equally put out incredible hype videos. So that's that's all you need. Um, let's let's take it now into the fun part of this interview. We do a rapid fire. Just kind of whatever comes to your heart, to your mind. There is no wrong answer here. So let's start it off with a softball. Who does Nick Saban most want to bury beneath the earth this year? Steve Sarkeesian, Kirby Smart, or Jimbo? Oh, it's got to be Jimbo. Not even close. <laughs> Dude didn't return his call. <laughs> no, I, I think Saban has got – he's always seemed to have a soft spot for Sarkeesian. So I, I don't think there's any, any issues there. And while most Alabama fans have kind of gotten annoyed at Kirby Smart, Saban seemed to continue to hold Smart in pretty high regard. Other than that one time, he like tried to steal a transfer and all, all that. But um, yeah, so those two are fine. And I think Saban seemed to like Jimbo too, and is still trying to like make it that way. But like, man, you're not going to return his phone call. We've had a few more years of Aggie experience than maybe you have. If if they've gotten into Jimbo's brain, it's just worms up there now, man. The Jimbo you knew is gone. He's been he's been stolen. <laughs> So this, you know, it's the new era of NIL and we know we already talked about Bryce Young and Bryce Young has millions apparently of of NIL deals out there. But if you've got a dream NIL pairing, whether it's somebody in the past that would just like you could think that they would crush this or somebody currently on the team, like what is your dream like NIL and brand like player and brand pairing uh, for an NIL deal? Oh, this is so easy. Kool-Aid McKinstry. There is (laughs) Kool-Aid. I mean, what what more could you ask for? Kool-Aid needs to put him on a commercial, have him bust through a wall, maybe have an elephant bust through the wall while you're at it. And I'm in. The fact that it hasn't happened yet, I just feel like, you know, what are you doing marketing folks, NIL professionals? You're, it, it, it honestly may be the easiest one in, in the whole country. All right, so this, this game, like, we haven't played in in a while in football right there's obviously you know uh, a memorable last time we played uh, in a national championship um there are a lot of texas fans who still think about that game and coy's injury often is, is changing the course of i wasn't program. gonna break it up it's okay we bring it up um, enough. it's fine <laughs> yeah yeah it's 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 it still hurts still fresh wound but there are a surprising number of familiar faces across both sides uh, of these teams. So when you think about who will either be happiest to see each other or again, to keep it, uh, keep it in the rivalry, uh, most, uh, most likely to want to bury the other, you have players in Keelan Robinson, Jai Hall, uh, Jaleel Billingsley on the Texas side, uh, Jalen Milrow, former Texas recruit, uh, on Alabama side, the Brocker Myers, Texas legacies and, and Jojo early who, who was, you know, a Texas lean before committing, to Alabama. Uh, you also have the coaches, you know, Sark, Banks, Flood, Bo Davis, Milwee. Now Nico Johnson uh, just took a GA role. And then Coleman Hutzler on the Alabama uh, roster, who was at Texas for a little while. Gerald and I both 
defended and liked him quite a bit. Um, and then our new running back coach, Shard Choice, was you know two years coached uh, Jameer Gibbs. So who who's who's the happiest? Who's going to be dapping it up uh, before the game with the reunion? Happiest to see each other, and and who's going to want a little? Who's going to want a little vengeance? Oh man, Jeff Banks has got to be excited to come back. I mean, <laughs> there, there are monkeys all around, right? <laughs> So, uh, and I'm sure Sarkeesian would be happy to, uh, a bunch of these guys are generally leave with good impressions of the, them and Saban like each other. And they they seem to get along pretty well. Uh, Keelan Robinson, I felt like left on pretty decent terms as well. Uh, but for the most part, fans have been like, Hey, Jeremon, let's watch this guy go. Jaleel Billingsley, this is not going to be good. I, <laughs> that, that's one of the most, uh, piled upon players i have seen <laughs> on our message boards in the entire time i've been writing for roll bama roll well wow. uh i couldn't tell you the number of nicknames and <laughs> won't say them on air appreciate uh, that the, the the only one that's really stuck has been billboard uh, and so yeah i there's not going there's going to be some animosity on that one fair enough <laughs> So if you're listening to this podcast and you're unaware that how are you listening to this podcast, we're glad to have you. But Texas is joining the SEC sometime, question mark, in the near future. And so we want to do a little bit of a, of a brief like SEC orientation. And I think the first question that I always have is like there's a team in, in every conference that everybody bullies, right? There's a team that everybody just piles on them regardless. And like it's not cool to like pile on Vandy, right? Because Vandy is Vandy. But like who's the team? Like if we're going to come in and fit in with the cool kids, who do we need to bully on social media like as soon as we get there? The thing with Vandy is it's not even that much fun to bully them. Uh, yeah, you're just kind of like, man, this feels kind of gross. And also their fans are annoying. So like, why, why are you even here? Uh, <laughs> the, the team you really end up feeling kind of bad for a lot of times is Arkansas. Okay. You're like, I, you know, uh, you kind of, you, you kind of got a cool uniform that that's cool. And you're up there in the Northwest. That's kind of close. So sure. I guess you're here. <laughs> uh, they are normally kind of good. So we'll cheer for you against outside of the sec but then everybody just kind of waxes the floor with you every so often they get kind of decent so yeah you can make fun of arkansas a good bit and you know make bacon jokes or woo pig sueys or whatever they do that fits for us yeah that works i also love the geography that arkansas is considered out there in the northwest that's we have to reorient our our sec geography i love it that's that's perfect so look you know Give us give us an SEC stereotype then for a couple other schools, and and I'll let you pick your choice out of you know Auburn, Georgia, Ole Miss. You've already said Arkansas, Florida, who, whoever you want to give us a couple, just something we we should know. What are what are the general consensus of the Alabama fans of some of these other programs, so we can uh, we can bring you know some knowledge back to our listeners. Auburn is the Texas A and M of our state. Uh, okay. Oh, yeah, that that's all you need to know. <laughs> that is all you need to know uh let's see Ole Miss is the Alabama of their state without the success so <laughs> and the you know Mississippi State has a lot of cowbells for for what it's worth it, you know kind of, Mississippi State's kind of cool we, we like them for the most part other than their cowbells they're a little weird and you you know enough about LSU there's mm-hmm. that they're they're the Cajuns <laughs> and so the fun one though tennessee ah i love it it excited it is always this is tennessee's year this is going to be their year <laughs> this is the year tennessee is back i swear it this is the year get used to it there will you will never see so many preseason heisman quarterbacks <laughs> as you do in that god-awful orange it is a bad shade it is a bad shade of orange. Oh, Terrible yeah. shade inside of a pumpkin. <laughs> and on that note, I think that's that's how we close this puke inside of a pumpkin. We might have our podcast title. Uh, Brent, thank you so much uh, for taking some time out to do this silly interview. But and if, if folks want more of what you've got to offer, or if we're looking to beef up their SEC follows before Texas makes the move, man, where can they find you on the internet? Uh, follow us at Roll Bama Roll. Me and then a few of our other editors, manager, all kind of rotate tweeting from it. So you get a variety of uh, bad tweets generally and uh, make 
nor normally schadenfreude making fun of other programs uh my personal twitter yeah yeah my personal twitter is btbama22 uh don't tweet as much there because i save my best ones for the main account but i i retweet a lot so uh yeah that's it if 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 the sec is renowned for their football teams their baseball teams short order they will be known for their podcasters as well being the best in the business so uh happy to join the ranks of the elite thanks man i love it thank you guys all right gerald let's now take a look at the world through burnt orange lenses we talked a little baseball in our first show and baseball will be coming soon when this releases on thursday uh but for now we have some ivan melendez news ivan melendez was named this week one of the three finalists for the golden spike award as well as one of five for the dick hauser trophy uh basically the three big postseason awards uh one of them has already been named uh the college baseball uh player of the collegiate baseball player of the year so he's one for three hoping for a clean sweep the hauser trophy will uh, be announced very shortly. That is on the 17th. Um, and the Golden Spikes will come out a week later on the 24th. So Melendez, honestly, is is the, the best choice for both of these. I'm not going to disparage the uh, very good years by the other two, and, and I guess in, in the case of the, the Hauser, the other four uh, finalists. But Melendez's year, I think, one final, I've said it many times, he keeps adding stats to it. In the entire country, there are six players who have 200 at-bats and have hit over 400. Only one of them is in a power conference, and that's Ivan Melendez. <laughs> so if you told me Ivan Melendez was a uh, a, a, a slapping speedster uh, right fielder, who you know sprays hits and 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 gets singles and steals bases? Um, I, I would understand that he's really really good at that, right? To hit four hundred, that's really good. It's utterly impossible that he's doing it as the power hitting player that he is. He's looking to become the eighth Longhorn ever to hit four hundred or better in a season, the first since Dutch Dustin Majewski in two thousand two. So basically again, in this century, would be only the second to do that. And and a reminder, as much as we love Dustin Majewski, he did not hit balls over the green monster uh, in center. He didn't clear <laughs> scoreboards in left center. He did not go to major league ballparks and put them uh, in the stands with, with such frequency. So um, just incredible. Like Melendez, incredible. Greatest offensive season in modern baseball era. And I, and I say that with no burnt orange bias that is just the fact i mean and it's it's not just that like he's not the guy who swings at everything and puts him over the fences though because like he's again like you said batting 400 in conference play which is nuts and he's on track with that to break the school slugging percentage it's like 70 years old so like melendez is doing things on a level that we hadn't seen and we honestly may never see again like i think we have to take a moment and appreciate that like this dude is going to be one of the or already is at this point and has the potential to just build on his resume as one of the all-time greats in, in texas baseball history and i think and again we say this every week when we talk about it we were we thought it was hilarious that he was going to come back and try to, to improve on last year to improve his draft stock and he did that he improved his batting while also playing a position. He wasn't just the DH. That's the crazy thing to me. And we said it on Tuesday's show, like his single season home run number qualifies him for the all time home run list, regardless of what he did last year, just this year's 32, which hopefully he'll build on that in Omaha. That number is good enough to put him on the, on the all time career home run list. Like this guy is one of the greats and we really have to just sit and bask and enjoy that, that we get to sit and watch that type of player. It was unbelievable. Just, just horrid that he had an error really call it an error. It was a ball that bounced 10 feet up in his face off that, that concrete that they called dirt at, uh, at ECU's jungle. Um, but that was his second error of the season played every game, every game at first base, a team that gets ground balls all the time. Uh, two errors uh, on the season. He was equally an incredible 
defensive player this season to go with again breaking 73 old records breaking the all-time home run record breaking the bb core era home run record leading the nation in slugging ops total bases school record rbis which he's close to a school record the, the crazy thing is right like he's also tied for fifth all-time in on-base percentage because he's he's like gerald said he's seeing the ball he's not swinging at everything he's taking walks and now especially the end of the season he's not getting as many pitches he's getting intentionally walked or pitched around um so his on base numbers just keep going up as well he might end up breaking that by the end uh of the season just just again this season that he's having deserves to be put into context outside of baseball it, it is one of the greatest seasons that a longhorn in any sport has ever put together Keeping it with national awards, Peyton Stearns was named the Honda Sport Award for uh, tennis. If you're not familiar, the, the Honda Sport Award uh, basically goes to the top female uh, in each uh, sport in the country. Um, she's the first tennis player at Texas to earn the Honda Sport Award and the first Longhorn to claim one uh, in any sport since Courtney Acolo in 2016. The last before that, you have to go another decade to Kat Osterman, who uh, who did it twice in 05 and 06 for softball. Um, but just puts, again, Peyton Stearns in some rarefied air, puts her in where you have to talk about one of those all-time Longhorn performances uh, of any any person, any sport, any season. Again, this feels like the era that you and I were on campus when it was like we got to watch Vince Young and Colt McCoy and Cat Osterman and Kevin Durant and TJ Ford and LaMarcus Aldridge. Like it's like Texas sports feels like that for everything but football right now. And even that, we've got Bajan Robinson and we've got like those types of guys. It's, it's just it's wild to think about the level of excellence everywhere on campus and the football team will catch up. It's fine. It absolutely will, Gerald, and another team that has some excellence that needs to be awarded the golf team. That's, that's another natural championship uh, team. The, uh, some awards came out seniors, Pearson Cootie and Cole hammer. So as junior Travis Vic, all earned spots on the all big 12 golf team. And that's, that's not anything to scoff at. Remember the, the season ended basically with OU and Oklahoma state is like one and two in men's golf. There are some really good golf uh, in the, the, the conference this year, Texas just happened to be the last standing of them. And, and, you know, when you get to match play, you never want, want to see texas but uh just just an incredible feat along with the the four longhorns who were named on any of the all-american teams including honorable mention so really great uh for the for the players and and good to see some some honors for, for uh, an incredible season and adding to that you know coach fields won his ninth big 12 coach of the year he's been there for a quarter century so nine honestly feels a little light i feel like they probably shorted him a couple but that's either here <laughs> nor there but that like this was the year that i think Texas had to put it all together because they had the cooties and they had Travis Vick who were on to bigger and unfortunately better things. And like Fields really showed like what he can do with elite talent. So I think that's going to just, you know, when you win with elite talent, elite talent wants to come and win with you. So I think this is going to bode well and pay dividends for Texas in the long term as it comes, as it pertains to, to men's golf and the future recruiting. Absolutely, Gerald. And speaking of elite talent, uh, who, I, I, is, is moving on to, you can call it bigger things. Uh, it's nothing better than Texas, but bigger things. Um, <laughs> one of our favorites, a person who's just has a career as a professional social media clapback artist. If, uh, if she, she tires of the, the career she's embarking on, but uh, Mary Iacopo was just recently uh, signed, um, sealed and delivered to the, and I want to make sure I get this correct. The smash it sports, Vipers um, of the WPF, the Women's Pro Fast Pitch League, one of the two leagues that drafted her. Both her and Jocelyn Allo were drafted in two different leagues. And what I love to see is that the Vipers were able to sign uh, two friends because they, they are friends off the, the diamond, even if uh, the, their teams and fans may hate each other. Uh, two really good friends who and all... we do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> who all year we've seen retweeting each other and congratulating each other for their Player of the Week honors or when Allo hit her, you know, 1,313th home run uh, or whatever. I don't remember the exact numbers. But uh, you just saw that these two were friends and I love that they both signed for the same team to go play pro. I love that the options to play pro uh, exist in softball now because I think what you saw in this 
run was that Texas was the Cinderella team, but softball is just a fun TV product. It is fun. It's faster than baseball. It's usually more high scoring. It's it, it it's just it's a it's a good TV product, and I think Mary Iacopo fits right in that. She you know had some sass. She had some big plays. You know she's a great defensive catcher. Had to throw them out. Had some tag them out. Um, you know had some home runs in the run. Like she she is. Uh, she's made for the moment, as you've seen off the field. Is 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 uh, absolutely uh, made for the moment. Don't please ever come for Mary Iacopo on social media. It, it doesn't ever work out. She absolutely just drags people, and I love it. Petty is my native tongue, and I absolutely <laughs> love people being petty on social media, and it's just absolutely beautiful. Now, Gerald, a couple uh, a couple Longhorns who have completed that phase, their professional career, move on to the retirement phase. But still raking in the honors, uh, we have former Longhorns linebacker and your favorite, Derek Johnson, and former offensive lineman Dan Neal were both named to the 2023 20, College Football Hall of Fame ballot. It's rare that you see back-to-back years with players from the same school. The College Hall of Fame is weird about that. Like They generally try not to put multiple guys in from the same school. So not just seeing two in one year, but seeing two the year after uh, Kenneth Sims joined a year ago. I- I've told this story before. Derek Johnson's the reason why I ended up at the University of Texas. And so like seeing him, and not like personally, I just watched him do some incredible things on the football field. And I was like, yeah, I want to go there. And- <laughs> just be in the same stratosphere as those people. So it's always great to see him get recognized for being incredible because, well, he is absolutely incredible. Texas trying to get to 25, currently 24 Longhorns in the Hall of Fame. So if either or both uh, of them make it, they will uh, put Texas over the quarter century mark. A fan favorite, a guy who certainly earned his status as a, as a Longhorn legend, but does have one year of eligibility and announced uh, earlier this offseason that he would be spending it elsewhere. The, the decision finally came for Courtney Ramey, where he's going to play his last year of basketball. Now, um, we, we knew that Ramey was a defensive specialist, I think, for his NBA stock. He did the draft test and then decided to come back. I'm sure what he heard is that he needs to demonstrate his ability to kind of have the more consistent and rounded offensive game. So he went to a team that knows how to score some points, certainly. Um, and he announced uh, this week he will be taking his talents to the Pac-12 uh, to join the Arizona Wildcats. I mean, he took kind of a couple of like backhanded shots at, at Coach Beard and Coach Smart. But, I mean, he, it seems like he he's, a, again, you and I will never fault a guy for going to where they think they need to be and they think it's going to be the best for their career. And so I think uh, Courtney has found a place where he feels like he's going to be able to thrive and show off what he can do and end his college career on, on a high note, what he thinks is going to be on the right foot. And so we wish him nothing but the best, especially because he didn't go to West Virginia and Texas doesn't have to play him. <laughs> so good for you. Enjoy it in, uh, in the desert. It sounded like Duke was, was the third of, of those options, but I, I get it. He basically, you know, he was in Texas, the Houston, uh, the first chapter of Top Chef Houston, and then, of course, they finished in Tucson. So it's a very natural Top Chef transition that he did. So I I totally get the thinking there. Um, But no, Gerald, you don't uh, you don't get to to, to play at UT for multiple years or or go to Pac-12 schools unless you're pretty smart. And what we saw was that 121 Longhorn student athletes featured in the 2022 academic all Big 12 uh, team, 96 uh, first team members and 25 second team. A lot of smart people associated putting the student in student athlete. I would not have been an academic all Big 12 athlete. So it's great to see that people that were doing more than I <laughs> did for the university uh, getting those honors. And again, we, we this is one of the reasons why we highlight the other sports and, and the other athletes on campus because – they are doing incredible work both on the field and in the classroom. And the student athletes all deserve uh, their spotlight and their flowers because they're doing an absolutely incredible job and, and representing the university as they should. Representing the Big 12 uh, as as they should because that's who the conference is currently. But, Gerald, I'm curious. We'll end on this one about your thoughts. We talked SEC football already, uh, Alabama and Texas. We know Texas is going to the SEC with OU, but it was announced this week that the new Big 12 members, U of H, BYU, Cincinnati, uh, and UCF, would be joining the Big 12 in 2023. Read the the tea leaves, Gerald. What does that mean? 
Honestly, I don't know. Like, I assume that Texas and OU will be leaving before that, but I also could see a world where broke OU puts ankle bracelets on us and uh, keeps Texas from getting out uh, before that. A 14-team conference would be very weird, and I honestly think the Big 12 may do everything within its power to keep Texas in, Texas and OU in to, like, show off. Like, can you imagine if UCF or BYU or any of these teams uh, beats Texas and OU in their last year in the Big 12? Like, they'll just ride that for the rest of their lives. Like, I imagine that the Big 12 might do that, uh, but hopefully it means that Texas and OU uh, only have one more year left in this conference. Well, former Big 12 teams uh, now in the SEC do make cups about regular season wins, so maybe the the, the new teams will, will take after and bring the cup making back to the Big 12. Uh, that's that's an Aggie shot. Um, but, uh, <laughs> Gerald, um, that's, that's it uh, for me for the burnt orange lenses. I agree with you that I want to see Texas go as soon as we can. But uh, for the time being, we are in the Big 12. And for the time being, that means every time Texas and OU meet in a national championship, it's happened twice. Could have happened three times if they put us on opposite sides of the CWS bracket. So it won't happen a third time. But it's happened twice already this year uh, where we've split one and one for national championships. That just it, it, it can't make the commission feel great uh, about the state of affairs for that conference. But we we will leave our shots at the commission to uh, the hilarious running uh, gag of, of when you post uh, the image of him every time Texas or OU does something. But we will leave it at that and exit the Burn Orange Legends and head into everyone's favorite segment, Gerald. Godzillatron, what are you watching? Your giant screen. A lot going on. I always like to start with like my dad recommendations. My my dad's Illatron. Uh, mm. Family night, movie night this week was Clifford the Big Red Dog. Uh, yes. I would say it, it was like... It was what I expected, except for like all of the random cameos. Like David Allen Greer is in it, Keenan Thompson is in it, Rosie Perez is in it. Like randomly, there's like a lot of good cameos, and there, there are a lot of people that are used kind of for a couple of, of specific jokes. Uh, so it's fine, it's good. Not a ton that you have to like awkwardly hope your kids don't repeat. So uh, it was solid. Uh, my wife has these shows that she watches that like we she watches when I'm in the room doing work next to her, but not necessarily paying attention. And one that she thought was going to be this is a show on HBO called Selena and Chef. And if you haven't seen it, um, it's Selena Gomez, pop star Selena Gomez, and a random chef uh, every episode. And so there are short cooking shows. And I love cooking shows because I'm a married father of three and over the hill. But like, it started during COVID during isolation. She lives, she lives with her and her roommate and she's not a great cook. And so she would zoom or Skype with these chefs and they would teach her how to cook a nice meal for herself. She'd get the, they deliver all the groceries to her and then she'd cook it. And so it's like, just, I don't know how to describe it, but it's just like wholesome in this like incredible way. And like I, one, I'm bothered by her like knife skills though. Like the finger safety on in her kitchen is not high and I'm not a fan of it. We've, I've watched like six episodes and in like, 25% of them she's cut herself and I'm like just stop it like just get better knives you're a millionaire get better knives and also like don't use two hands when you're chopping stuff uh, her roommate is absolutely worthless like she just like she's texting half the time like you're on tv like put your phone down plating's not great but like the whole crux of it is like she's learning how to cook and then every episode they donate to a different charity of the chef's choice and so aron sanchez has a has a scholarship fund for for minority students trying to get into culinary school and you've got uh, jose andres and his um his feeding uh, feeding the world um charity it's so, like all those things so like there's a ten thousand dollar donation going out in every episode so it's just fun and then I, we got into it because i just finished listening to i'm, a, I'm an audiobook and i'm gonna butcher uh, kwame onawachi from a couple of seasons ago of top chef i just finished his book and the episode that he was on was on and it was like fun and we had a good time with it and apparently like selena and selena gomez and they were like flirting the entire time and so <laughs> i'm not like a celebrity shipper but i would be totally down for that yes. um and so like one that book is incredible if you're into like food and food culture and that like check it out but also like this show is super fun to watch yeah they love that guy he was on this season of top chef in houston representing with uh, our, our local uh chopping block a very delicious uh, nigerian restaurant if you're in houston in the new houston post um htx but no a book that i read i didn't audiobook but i actually read i i was in 
Mexico last weekend, and uh, it's a short flight from Houston. It's like an hour and a half, so you can't get too much book reading <laughs> done. I didn't take it uh, take it to the pool with me either, so I didn't didn't get too far. And about a third of the way, uh, maybe a little bit more done is Pappy Land, which um, I think my wife I, I'm, I'm a tactile book reader. My wife is a Kindle reader, and she I don't know if it was on the I must have had it saved on a on a you know. To, to buy a list at some point it's a couple years old it's uh but she had got a it popped up and they said here's a five dollar coupon for a five dollar book so do you want it free on your kindle so sure so uh she downloaded it for me and and it was my first kindle experience first of all pretty good not not bad honestly i like holding yeah, a book pretty solid but but not bad i, I enjoy uh i enjoyed the kindle I, I will say that but what i really enjoyed is and i, I know i still have some more to read is right thompson i read it very slow because Wright's a great storyteller, and I try to soak up every detail. Um, but also, I read and I highlight, and I and I think, how can I emulate that? Because I think, you know, Spencer Hall has a lot to say, and I'd love to to see that boxing match. But Wright Thompson, I believe, is our greatest living sports writer, and. Uh, he could be on a short list of our greatest living writers. Um, he writes about sports the way that I care about sports in that um, the box score typically doesn't matter much, but but, but talks about the narrative. Um, and just one of my favorite and inspirational heroes. Um, but Pappy Land is specifically about um, the Pappy Van Winkle story, and he, he tells a little bit of his own story through it. And there's some sports sprinkled in, but it's not a sports book uh specifically but it's about the 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 history of bourbon and and i I spent some time in louisville and did a little dabbling a couple years ago myself and learned a little bit but he just obviously goes layers and layers deeper and uh talks about the horses because he loves the horses and maybe that's the sports tie-in and and i got to know the horses when i was in louisville so i love it it's a very good book and it's right thompson and he talks about his dad and he talks about pappy van winkle and he talks to pappy's grandson and about the familial scars and legacy and and it's just an interesting read it's a story i didn't didn't fully know uh before i I got into this one i haven't finished so maybe i really don't know it but the other thing that i i took in so i I read that but uh i did watch something on netflix i admittedly hadn't heard of this maybe everyone else had and i just was completely behind but it popped up immediately as a recommendation when i opened netflix it's called hustle if you don't know about 12 to 19 year old Kyle boy did I love Adam Sandler there I had a I had a, a period where I just the man had a grip on me but I as late stage Sandler I probably have not seen one of his films click punch truck love I don't know it's been a few years I've missed grown-ups one through 17 I've missed funny people or the one where he dresses like different I, I don't know I I haven't seen a lot of it, admittedly. We've gone different directions, Mr. Sandler and I. But Hustle uh, was great, actually, surprisingly. Um, Juancho Hernan Gomez uh, of the basketballing Hernan Gomez's, if you remember uh, the phrase I was I, I eloquently uh, busted out when we played Dayton in the women's. Uh, his sister played, played Texas in the first round of the uh, women's uh, March Madness. Um, and uh, he is the star in a handsome, uh, believable uh, legend who's the base of the story and it won't spoil anything, but uh, Adam Sandler is a scout, an NBA scout who uh, was never much of a, a, a player, but uh, played well enough for an injury that he, uh, he had some connections right in college as a point guard and uh, an injury robs him of that. And he, he works his butt off to scout the world to find the next star. Is a LeBron James uh, production, so you see a lot of people who are represented by Clutch uh, in this one, but they get a really like a, a ton of NBA talent and stars in it. Um, it's a basketball story through and through, um, but it's it's also you know it's an interesting uh, fish out of water story. There's nothing super unpredictable about it. It's a very like oh this is going to happen and this is going to happen, and but it's, you're not upset about that. You know it's it's a good popcorn movie. It's fun to see all the cameos. Like they very clearly got oh I saw Uncut Gems, so that's the last one I saw. But like in Uncut Gems where they have some NBA stars, but they didn't really have the logo and license and like 
uh, approval of the NBA. This felt very different, and I wonder if that signals something with what LeBron James means to media. Like when LeBron wants to make a movie, if he just gets full access to anything he wants, which includes shooting in the middle of a game, um, the film. Like I, it just it's LeBron, so I think it's going to be different. But Adam Sandler was great, like Punchdrunk Love or a Spanglish, like a little bit more of a serious than slapstick Sandler kind of works for me. Uh, so he was great. I thought. Mr. Hernan Gomez was great. I thought Anthony Edwards, the young Minnesota Timberwolves player, who's kind of his rival and just an otherworldly smack talker, was incredible. Um, he it's as good of as good of movie sports playing smack talk as I've ever seen. And that's not you know to knock the the Doctor Strange basketball episode scenes or any of that, but it was fun. It's a solid seven. Just go watch it if you like basketball. You'll like this. If you like Adam Sandler, you'll like this. Uh, if you like, you know, Spanish street bowlers, you'll like this. So uh, I, I liked Hustle a lot. Maybe it's no expectations, but I enjoyed it. I'll check it out. I've heard a lot of people uh, seen it mentioned on the socials a few times. So I'll have to uh, – we'll have to – that feels like a, a Gerald watch without my wife, but we'll try to find some time for it. But that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Carbon. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodridge. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic. Or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook em. Hook em. Texas will exercise the demons of the cold.